What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to the final four. It's not on the schedule. He is Rod. I am Cameron. And Michigan State drops the first round of the of the Big Ten tournament, fifty-seven to sixty-eight to Maryland. And great start in this one, Rod. I mean, at the ten-minute mark, it was twenty-three to eleven. Uh, and then they just started getting just massive amounts of foul calls and clawed their way back into it. And then there was a a bad uh, call, and I'd hate to keep harping on the rest, but that Henry charge uh, where they were both kind of moving in the same direction at the very last possession. Um, mm-hmm. Maryland gets that call, comes down and hits a three. So you get a big swing right at the end of the half. They go up four uh, into halftime, and then – from there, they just couldn't seem to kind of break that 10-point barrier. Malik Hall did some really nice things in the second half, but it, it just it just wasn't enough uh, to claw back into this one. Um, disappointing yeah. loss, um, but, you know, from a strategic point of view, if you're looking at the tournament, I don't know that this is, hurts them. In fact, well, it may people- help them. There are people making that point that if you were to slide to the 11 line, let's say, then you're in a spot where where you're avoiding any of the top um, the top two seed, you know, the top two seed lines, mm-hmm. the best eight teams, right? Um, until obviously until like an elite eight. Uh, so that's that's maybe a silver lining way to look at this. Um, but I, I think you still wanted to win. You know, we yeah, talked about yeah. what, you know, at, at this point, look, Michigan State has beaten three top 10 teams in the last couple of weeks. Other than Gonzaga and Baylor, you really, there's nobody out there that you should look at and say, well, I don't know that Michigan State, even on a really good day, is capable of beating that team. There's nobody like that, mm-hmm. you know. But with so this, I don't, you know, with this being, and that's basically true, Gonzaga and Baylor. But if they're an eight or a nine seed, and Illinois and Michigan's the other one seeds, the tournament's probably not going to put Michigan State. Right. So that you you make a point. So then it kind of sentences you to one of either Baylor or Gonzaga. Yeah. yeah. You're 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 right. And I believe they've come out with that. I think that's a change back to the way it used to be, where they're not. They're not going to permit teams from the same conference meeting in that 
second, well, they call it the third round now, but it's the second round game, right? Like we Um, did that against Minnesota a couple years ago. Right. They had changed the rule, I believe, starting that season. And so MSU met Minnesota two years ago um, in the second round. And that apparently, from what I just saw the other day, can't happen again. So you're probably right. It would work, I guess. That's a good point. Um, regardless, I don't think it's a problem now. I think Michigan State, there's a look, there's a lot of teams in this conversation with them mm-hmm. that have been losing. Yeah, that's the thing. So yeah. I don't know how much they're going to slide. I still think it's theoretically possible they could be a 10. But I, my hope right now, is I was we talked about the other day. I would just hope that they stay out of the the first four game. Yeah, you know that's that's the thing I would like to see them avoid. If they're at eleven, but they're hell, if they're at twelve, but they don't play in that game, one of those games in Dayton, I'm fine. Because mm-hmm. you're you know, gonna play uh, somebody fairly difficult in that game. Yeah, it's, it's like... gonna be a game. And look, we see this today. I've been saying for a little while now. I didn't want Maryland in this game. Yeah, because I really don't like the matchup for MSU. Take the overall picture, and Maryland's resume is no better than Michigan State's. I don't think objectively they're a better team. They are a really tough team for Michigan State to match up with. So who knows what you'll get in a in a first four game? You might get a team that you know because under normal circumstances you would say, well, Michigan State has shown that they're probably better than where they're going to be seated. Yeah. You know, by virtue of beating the teams they beat, right? That would be the argument. I'm not saying it's a compelling one, but that would be the argument. Um, but because this team, I think, is so vulnerable to both just a bad day and a bad matchup, you know, we've had Michigan State teams where, quite honestly, you didn't, you didn't care. Yeah. I, that's kind of how I felt. That's kind of how I felt about that team you just referenced that played Minnesota. By the time they got to the tournament, that team, I didn't care who they played. I mean, obviously, we didn't want Duke just because of how much horsepower Duke, and particularly Zion Williamson, had, and they got him. But I mean in terms of, a, you know, beyond that, and even that, I think, you know, we thought, well, they got a shot. The, the only thing that kind of kept you in check was the history of Izzo teams against Duke. Yeah, it wasn't so much well on the merits. This MSU team can't beat them. So there've been a lot of years where that was the case. Where I'm like, hey, we play a team that plays small ball and wants to get play fast. Great. We play a team that's bigger wants to slug it out. Great. Anything in between, great. Doesn't matter. That's the the ISO ideal. And most of the time, he builds teams to be able to do that. This team is much much more fragile. Yeah, as we've yeah. seen. And I just think I thought Maryland was a bad matchup. But the funny thing about it is some of the things I really worried about didn't come to pass. You know, Maryland's bigs did a little bit of damage from three, but they weren't hugely effective. It was it was just it, the, the other component of it, though, it was a big problem, was containing them off the dribble. Yeah. And we'll get in. You mentioned the officiating, and that's worth a discussion. But um, regardless – that was a big problem for Michigan State. And then on the other end, I mean, I forget what the total was. I want to say it might have been 10 minutes straddling the first half and the second half that Michigan State didn't score a field goal. Yeah, it was a long And time. very few points, just a handful of points in that stretch. It's That's where the game was lost. Um, You know, you can talk about the officiating, talk about the free throw shooting, 
that Maryland got as a result of the way it was officiated. And it's absolutely true, and we will discuss it, and it matters. But the other part of it is Michigan State could not score. And some of that was on Michigan State, but some of that is due to the fact that this – look, I'm being honest. I do not think this is a, a great, great Maryland team by any stretch. But I will say this. When they are on the way they have been in both games against MSU, that is a team of pit bulls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is junkyard dog type team. They don't have any size, but it doesn't matter. They they are physical, and that's one of the reasons why I think the nature of the officiating was a joke. Um, they're very physical. They are tough as nails. And, you know, on the right day and the right matchup, man, Maryland can be a problem for a lot of teams. I, I wouldn't trust them in the tournament because, you know, Mark Turgeon's never proven to be a trustworthy coach. Yeah. But that team, when they play like they have in the two games against MSU – I am very impressed with what they are. And defensively, do not kid yourself. Some of MSU's struggles were down to missing makeable shots. But I honestly do believe part of the reason MSU was missing a lot of those is that Maryland makes shots that might even look makeable tough. Mm-hmm. And they they just played tremendous defensive basketball after the first 10 minutes. They were. I thought they were great again, just like they were in College Park. And you know, the first ten minutes, Rod, they Michigan State's offense looked really good. I mean, they were doing things that I haven't seen this team do a whole lot this year. Um, you know, misdirection stuff and and getting hitting, um, faking the post yeah. pass and hitting the guy in the corner. That was nice. Um, yeah, they just they no, looked no. really sharp. There were some good things, but I really felt that um, I was surprised in that stretch because I thought Maryland was not very aggressive defensively. Michigan State did good things, but I think, you know, we, we talk about this dichotomy a little bit. Are you easy to play against or hard to play against? And I thought in the first 10 minutes, Maryland was pretty easy to play against. Yeah. No, they didn't make anything tough on Michigan State particularly, you know. And then after that, the rest of the game, they made it extremely difficult. So, yeah, MSU was good during that stretch, but they also were not going up against the caliber of defense that we saw in the first game or we saw over the last, say, 30 minutes of this one. Mm -hmm. It was a different level, different level of intensity, different level of physicality, a different level of connectedness. I mean – The thing that impresses me more than anything about Maryland's team defense, and it is a prerequisite for them being able to be effective given the lineups they play, they are the best team I've seen this year in terms of bringing guys to trap, to double team, and then recovering the shooters. Yeah, They just do not give you that easy look. Off of, off a of double team in the post. You don't get it. And that's down to guys like Ayala and, and Morsel and Wiggins, all these guys just consistently sharp. I thought it in the first, I thought it in the first game and I thought it again today. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. We're going to, we're going to talk about some things that, you know, were, were not MSU's fault, but I give a lot of credit to Maryland for this one. Defensively especially, I thought they were great. Once they got serious. 
So the, I mean, I guess we'll just rip the bandaid off here. I shortly into this game, um, when the call started going like crazy, I thought, oh Jesus, who is uh, refing this thing? And sure enough, Bo Borowski, yeah. our old friend, yeah. Uh, and it, it's just, it, it's maddening, you know. And and I went back and looked through a lot of the last like five or so games that Bo Borowski has done. And for for Michigan State, he's the one that refed uh, the blowout against Iowa. The the beatdown that Northwestern gave us at home, mm-hmm. uh, the, the one Purdue, point the Purdue, Purdue game, the Purdue, yep, yep, uh, and then another, the, the one and then the Michigan the one and six, the one and six in games Borowski is refed this year, but but I don't think that's where the analysis begins and ends because you could say well that could just be coincidence it could be that Michigan State was playing really good opponents in games he happened to officiate well. I don't know that that list we just read off is exactly that. You know, Northwestern doesn't qualify as a great team this year, right? right. The one game, one that he officiated was Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, but, but put that element of it aside. It's, it's the nature of the games. Look, Michigan State, when it found itself down this stretch in the latter part of the season, we talked a lot about playing with physicality, right? Yeah. It's a necessity for Michigan State. So it's not going to be to their advantage to have a guy who we talked about this the other day, that he's going to call everything by the book. There's no such thing as letting something go. Yeah. You know, Stephen Bardo talked about that, that foul call you mentioned toward the end of the first half with Henry, <laughs> the, the kid playing defense and they collide and they call it on Henry. Um, it was just a terrible call. I, a terrible call if what you're interested in is, as I always say, a foul representing a play that gives an unfair advantage to one side or the other. That that's what right. you're trying to do. That play did nothing either way for that. So you can say, well, he called it by the book, but then the question is, should you call it at all? Mm-hmm. Um, he's not going to approach it that way. He's going to call it by the book. What that ends up doing is it results in games that have a lot of fouls. That does not play to MSU's strength. I would say the other part of that is, as I mentioned earlier, Maryland to me is a very physical team. Why, why were the foul, why was the foul differential 16 to 3 in the first half? That's the way that game was played. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. That was a game with a lot of physicality both ways. Um, so why should there be that kind of differential? Now, the second half there wasn't, but look, let's be honest. What kept Maryland afloat in this game in the first half was the way it was officiated. Yeah. Bottom line, they are not in within single digits at halftime, if not for that. You know? Now, I'm not ready to absolve Michigan State completely. Some of it is Michigan State just not being able to defend without fouling, having trouble containing guys off the dribble. But there were a lot of those calls. There was one on um, Hauser that was ridiculous. Uh, there were a the, lot of them. That one, the, Ayala to the hoop uh, where Langford was driving on him. I didn't see him touch touch him at all. There was the, yep. there was one other one where Langford kind of leaned in a little bit, which was right. like, okay, I could see that. But that first one? 
He didn't touch him. I, I yeah, don't know where and, they got that call from. And it, it's, you know, look, the, the bottom line is the guy's bad news for Michigan State for the way they want to play, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, okay, I'm fine with that as long as you're calling it both ways. But in a game where I felt like the opposition was also very physical, I don't understand the foul disparity. I just don't understand it. Um, and that's what Izzo was upset about at halftime. And I think he had a point. It doesn't yeah. mean that every call the guy made was wrong, but it means the way and, – and, and then you go then you go back to a fundamental point that I, I just – I think it should be the, guide, the, the guiding light to every one of these decisions from the goddamn rules committee every year, and it's not. Mm-hmm. And that is a simple one, which is, is this what you want your product to look like? Right. Does this do anybody any favors? And the answer is clearly no, it does not. Mm. Nobody wants to watch a free throw contest. Nobody wants to watch a game that's just slogging in terms of pace because it's constantly being stopped due to whistles. I'm sorry. I just don't believe that you can. It's, I think Jay Billis is an extremely bright guy. I think he's a really good broadcaster, but for a few years where he was on that kick defending what the NCAA was doing with freedom of movement, that was something I thought he was dead wrong about. Mm-hmm. Like you have to care about these things. If you care about how your product is viewed and the experience of fans and the players, by the way, because yeah. the players are going to play in these goddamn games. You think they like this? I mean, the Michigan they State were clearly frustrated. They were clearly yeah. frustrated by the whistle. Oh yeah. No question. No question. You know, and, and look, one thing you can say is Mark Turgeon has a style of play because this is not the first team he's had that's done this. I talked about it the other day. He's had every year since they've been in the Big Ten, they've had a point guard who was very, very adept at getting to the foul line and drawing fouls at Mellow Trimble for years, and they had Cowan, and now they've got Ayala. Mm-hmm. That may be effective. It is effective. You know, it's been to some extent successful for him. It's a terrible brand of basketball, and in my opinion, it should be legislated right out of the game. Yeah. You don't reward that shit. You just don't. If you care about how the game looks, and again, this is where I depart from Billis. So Jay Billis will say, well, the answer is a very simple one. Don't foul. Don't foul a kid that's penetrating. Well, but that begs the question, okay, but what should constitute a foul? Mm-hmm. What are we talking about here? What 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 type of act leads to a, an advantage for one side or the other? That should be a foul. If it doesn't really do that, then why are we calling anything? Yeah. You know, I just so I I think that besides it making the game an aesthetic atrocity, there's absolutely no question that the whistles completely derailed Michigan State's momentum and allowed Maryland to hang around in this game and hang around and hang around. And then eventually, when other things kicked in, Maryland's defense went up another gear. Michigan State, as a consequence of that, plus its own shortcomings, couldn't buy a basket. Um, you know, and the turnovers. Then you had what you got, which was a game that was played in double digits for a lot of the second half. Mm. And I'm, I'm going to give Izzo a free pass on this one. Um, 
I'm okay with that technical. That clearly was a technical trying oh, to send yeah. a message to those referees yes. that that was unacceptable. Yes. And no, I, I agree. I, I don't agree. think it's one of those things where he lost his head and cost his team. No, out. no, that was a per that was for a purpose. Yeah. And, and I'll say this: it is true that in the second half the whistles were far more even. They were yeah. more reflective of the game that I was seeing the whole forty minutes in terms of the physicality. You know, so if you're going to call it that tight, okay, the whistle needs to be going both ways because Maryland is making a lot of the same plays that Michigan State is and just not getting called for as much of it. Yeah. was the problem with what went on in the first half. So you could say that Izzo's technical achieved the desired effect because that came late in the half. Mm. And the second half was a different story. But, um, yeah, yes. so it's, it's not – I'm not saying that I believe the officiating cost Michigan State the game. There's way too much speculation involved in making that kind of statement for my taste. Yeah. But, you know, on the other hand, they were rolling and it clearly derailed their momentum. It clearly allowed Maryland, who was really struggling, to hang around and stay in the game. And then when Maryland got things turned around, they were in position to blow the thing out. Mm-hmm. It would have been a different game with a different whistle. No question about that. And I don't give a shit what his rating is. Look, if uh, the casual observer uh, is realizing who the lead official is halfway through the game, it's a problem. Nobody should know who these officials are. Right. The guys who become celebrity officials, where they're known by names, by by name, by fan bases around the the conference or the country, um, you're right. That's that shouldn't be. Yeah. Because invariably it's for the wrong reasons. At the end of the day, both teams should not be talking about the refs, no matter how it worked out. Right. And I kind of give Turgeon a little bit of credit paying it back, you know, uh, getting that technical in the second half. I, I don't know if that if that was just him, like, piling on Bobrowski or what the deal was there. But, yeah, I, I, it can't look good on a ref to get two technical fouls against the opposing head coach, both head coaches, you know, so maybe. They, yeah. I the, but I, obviously, you know, you mentioned this the other night, though, and then this is the problem. The problem for as much as people are irritated by Bo Borowski, the problem fundamentally is not with him. Right. It is with rules committee that encourages him to officiate the way he does, that rewards it. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, you're right. That's the problem. That's the problem. But there's plenty of other referees that don't take it to that extreme either, and wind up being yeah. Good but referees. but you know, where are the are those guys? Are those guys getting plum assignments? You know, are they working as steadily as Borowski is? I mean, there's yeah. there, there's he definitely works think, hard. There's a what lot we he all plays want, almost every night. Right. What we all want is we want games that are officiated in such a way that you feel like the competition was fair. That's all. Yeah. That's all it means. You know? And and too often this stuff misses the boat. And I would think to some degree, like, these referees that are in a particular conference would have some, you know, semblance of understanding of what the culture of that conference is. Like, in the Big well, Ten, it's like you should let them play a little bit more than maybe you would in a... Let's keep in mind 
there is because sometimes people get confused by this because of the frequency with which they see certain officials. There is no such thing as a conference referee in basketball. It's yeah. not like football. But but your point is still a valid one, or it could be that for someone like Bob Borowski, who works as many Big Ten games as he does, should his officiating be reflective of the culture in that conference, which is one that tends to reward or at least tolerate physical play? You yeah. know, that's a good point. Uh, you know, he will he will say, and the rules committee and the head of officials will say, no, that's not his job. Mm. I'd beg to differ. But you know, we're, we're look, we're tilting our windmills here because. Yeah. This stuff just isn't likely to change. You just have to, you have to be good enough. Here's the bottom line. You got to be good enough to overcome all that nonsense. And Michigan State clearly was not today. You know, I can be upset about the way it changed the momentum, but they weren't good enough. This is just a, like a random thing. And maybe you know the answer to this, Rod. But, you know, in NFL, they work in crews and in college basketball, they don't, work in the same crews. No. It's different. No. You know, it's different for the most part all the time. They just send guys I think where they need to go. Hard. I think it's too hard from a scheduling point of view to allow for that. Is it? Okay. I think so. because, And again, well, you just mentioned it. You said Bo Borowski's working every day of the week, right? Yeah. That That's one of the other real travesties that should be sat on by the NCAA, or by the conferences, force these guys these guys are kind of masters of their own schedules to an extent. My understanding is they can just put in to work. And if they want to work, you know, five nights a week, six nights a week, they can. Probably not six, but five, they can. And and you can't tell me that that doesn't have an impact on the sharpness mm. of an official. You know, um, that should be something. There should be mandatory days off. You know, the, you know, limit on how much you can be scheduled to ref any games anywhere. And and as far as I'm aware, there are no such standards right now. So um, yeah. I think when, when it's that kind of environment, it would be very difficult to make consistent crews workable. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if that's the last uh, – I have one last point on the referees. The thing that drives me nuts is when you see something happen – and then it's like a second and a half later, you get the whistle. Yeah, that's call. because somebody that was on that, who should have been the one that's either making the decision or not, decided not to make the call. And then somebody else came in after the fact and made the call. That, that yeah, seems I, like I that's know. probably. I don't know which bothers me more. That certainly bothers me, but I'll tell you what I'm even more bothered by is the other side of this, the other end of the spectrum from that. And you see officials do it all the time where they anticipate a call, they see an action coming and anticipate that there'll be a foul. So they blow the whistle before the, before the uh, physical contact ever happens. Yeah. And if they let it play out, it's pretty clear. Well, that actually wasn't a foul. And that happens all the time too. So I'd rather they just actually get it right. Not yeah. too early, not too late. Just get it right. All right. So, um, as far as the players in this one, I mean, obviously it starts with Malik Hall. He had an outstanding game, maybe the best game of his career. Um, 19 points, 8 for 12 from the floor. Um, he hit Couple two three-pointers. Three you know, he had five rebounds. Um, 
great offensive night for him. I mean, it's the only real positive. Yeah. The only one is the way Malik Hall played. And he was outstanding. And he showed, he showed the reason why I think so many people, and I'll definitely include myself in that category, were so optimistic about him coming into this season. And it's been really hard to understand why he wasn't more effective on a consistent basis. And I think what I conclude is just a lot of it had to do with, for whatever reason, him not feeling as confident or comfortable on the court. Well, tonight or today, he looked to be both of those things. And so you saw the full repertoire. You saw him hit the threes. You saw him rebound. You saw him execute a couple of post moves. You saw him take guys off the dribble. I mean, it was all there. Yeah. And that's what Malik Hall can be. So, you know, I think as we're winding down his sophomore season and he's going to start the back half of his MSU career next season, a, a day like today needs to be the template for him. Mm. Because there's no reason in the world that he can't do those things more consistently. I don't mean he's going to go out and get 19-5 and five every night, but you get my drift. He can show more of that on a more consistent basis than he has. Yeah. He has the, the talent and the tools to do it. The question is, does his mindset allow him, his confidence level, to do it? Hopefully he'll use this as a jumping-off point because mm. it was impressive. Uh, and the other guy who who's uh, did pretty well this game in only 15 minutes, Marcus Bingham, seven points, three yeah. or four, um, you know, had five rebounds. That's a lot I, for, you know, for not a whole lot of minutes in this one. No, I agree with you. And it surprised me. I got into a big, I know we talked about it on the podcast. I did not think this was a game for Marky and, um, I got into a long thread discussion where there were people talking about how they believed that Michigan State was making a mistake to go small ball to match Maryland, that they needed to go big. Early on, I was thinking, well, I'm going to have some Cody because Marky got off to a great start. But I think eventually he kind of got neutralized a little bit. And, and it's for it. The one, the one thing that Michigan State did not do with him, of course, which I knew would be the case, is it wasn't like they were posting him up. Yeah. yeah. Have that kind of game. So his height advantage over the guys covering him doesn't matter so much at that end. Cause he's not, his game isn't built that, right? Yeah. Um, but where he did surprise me is, at least in the first half, his length was able to impact things defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I wondered about that because Maryland's fives all shoot so well that it doesn't, to me, play to Marquis' strengths. It's going to pull him away from the rim, so then he's not going to be around the basket to protect the rim, um, and I don't think he's consistently good enough to expect him to be able to hang with a three-point shooter. You know, it's just a bad matchup, mm-hmm. and yet he made it work. I agree with you. His limited opportunities, I think he played, what, 14, 15 minutes? Yeah. He was he was very good, mm-hmm. and you know. And look, I, my concerns about Marcus Bingham in this one had to do specifically with the matchup. Mm-hmm. I think over the past three four weeks, he's clearly been the best five man for Michigan State. Michigan yeah. State is at their best when he's on the floor. So I'm supportive of where he's gotten to. I think he's. I'm not going to say he's completely turned the corner, but he seems like he's starting around it. Mm-hmm. Today was another example of that. 
and you know the other guy Henry five for twelve twelve points um, nine rebounds uh, although he had six turnovers in this one a block and three steals yeah tough day um, you know he kept he kept working which I give him credit for but look Daryl Morsell was named defensive player of the year in this league for a reason you saw why yeah yeah today Daryl Morsell guarded the hell out of Aaron Henry bottom line. And made like he and his teammates made life really difficult on him. Aaron didn't get anything easy today. And you know, some days it's going to be like that. There aren't many defensive teams the caliber of Maryland, in my opinion. Yeah. But um, that's who they played today. And yeah, it, it, look, if if you had heard in advance that Henry's going to have the day he had, that Josh was going to go one trade from the floor, what would you have thought the odds of Michigan State winning were pretty poor, right? Yeah. Well, that's that's what happened. Their best players were not able to be their best players. Uh, and Rocket, one for five. Um, although he did have four assists, but four turnovers. Yeah, he struggled too. I mean, those when, when the you know the turnovers are a big part of the story in this game. Yeah. Um, and which we'll get to when we look at the keys, but. Um, I just thought he and Henry was in this category. Everybody was in this category where Maryland is not a team that pressures you defensively, but man, I give them credit for a lot of those turnovers because I think they just, they made Michigan State feel so uncomfortable that, you know, they would get, guys would get themselves into position where they're on the court where they just, there just wasn't a play to be made and it would result in the ball being coughed up. That happened a lot with Rocket. Happened a lot with Aaron. That's why their turnover numbers were as high as they were. Mm-hmm. I mean, turnovers between those two guys. You, if you know that in advance, you know it's going to be a long day. Uh, and then Kithier, he got some some time today, some 11 minutes. Um, did some things in there. Got a nice little rebound, offensive rebound there. Hit some free throws. Um, Look, the five spot was not a problem for Michigan State today. I thought Thomas played well in his minutes. I thought Sissoko, he didn't do a ton statistically. He had a couple rebounds, I think, but um, he was okay in his minutes. And Marvel was all right. Well, great, but he was okay. Uh, and we talked, obviously, about Bainham. Uh, that was not the problem spot for LSU today. It was their, their best players were not their best players. That's where the problem was. Um, but I thought Kithier... After not playing at all against Michigan, it didn't surprise me that he got some turns in this one. The matchup kind of favored that, mm-hmm. and I thought he did well with it. Uh, any other players that stick out to you? Well, I mentioned it wasn't I mentioned, much from Gabe. I mentioned, yeah, Gabe had one great take early where he went to the rim and dunked on them, and I thought at that point, I'm like, boy, okay, off to the races, and then just nothing happened again comes back to if your if your game is predicated mostly on being a spot up shooter, Maryland is not a great team to play against because their ability to recover is so good. Mm-hmm. Gabe just didn't have a lot of looks. So he didn't do much. Josh, I mentioned, was one for eight. It's a terrible day for him. He really struggled. Um uh Hogard had the one tough take where he got an N one opportunity and then missed the free throw. But other than that, he wasn't very good. Jack Hoiberg played some minutes again. Was all right. Um, did manage to get fouled and hit a free throw. Um, yeah, just no. 
you know, it was Malik Hall, and then that's kind of it. Yeah. You know, maybe a little bit you say Benham and Kithier were productive, but um, th- that's really it. Everybody else kind of struggled. Um, so you look at the keys, defend the arc. Uh, Maryland in this one was 30%, 20, right? 6 for 20. Yeah, 6 for 20. Yeah, you know... I didn't think Michigan State was terrible defending the three, but it just didn't matter because there was so much activity getting to the rim. And so you can you could partially say, well, that's a result of the way Michigan State was defending the perimeter, right? Mm-hmm. Because if they're closing on shooters but they're off balance, then they, these guys are going to, everybody in their lineup is capable of taking you to the basket. And that's what they did. And that's why they were getting to the line so much. There's some truth to that. So statistically, it looks pretty decent. Um, they held them under their average for, uh, attempts. They held them under their average for a percentage, but I didn't think it was an A effort mm-hmm. way because of all the stuff that happened penetration wise. Uh, and then get to the rim. They tried. Paint are fairly even, twenty eight, twenty eight. Yeah. They they tried, so I give them credit for not settling for like that first game where they shot twenty eight threes. That didn't get repeated, but it was still very very difficult for Michigan State to finish plays in the paint. How many shots within five six feet did they miss in yeah. this game? On. And again, I don't want to say all of that is just on Michigan State. I think some of it, you should give credit to the other guys because they defended hellaciously. And they made a lot of those shots more difficult than you think they are. But, you know, the bottom line is MSU was not nearly efficient enough inside. The mindset was right. The execution was not, you know, finishing plays was obviously not there. Mm. Uh, and then defend without fouling. Well, yeah. yes, look, whatever you want to, you know, you, you give it, uh, some of it certainly a result of the way it was officiated, but also some of it was the way Michigan State played. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think you can let MSU off the hook entirely by any means. Um, you know, and, and it's just a problem. I mean, there was, I think there was an 11 made free throw gap between the two teams. Well, that's your margin of victory right there. Yeah. That's the game, you know? Uh, and then boards. This is the, of everything, this is the single biggest disappointment to me. And it was, yes, the officiating had an impact. And you say both teams were physical. Michigan State got called a lot in the first half. Maryland didn't. But that also showed up in other areas, none more obviously than rebounding. We talked about how Maryland is a very bad offensive rebounding team. Yeah. Maryland out rebounded MSU on the offensive end. Ten. Ten to nine, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Ten to nine. They had more second chance points, way more than Michigan State. I think it was twelve two, something like that. Yeah, twelve eight. Twelve eight, sorry. Um that should never happen. Shouldn't ever happen. That to me, this was kind of in in a lot of ways, it looked similar, at least the last 30 minutes did, 
to that first Michigan game where it's like every loose ball, every 50-50 ball, every big offensive rebound or defensive rebound that's there to claim Maryland was first to it. They were more aggressive and they were tougher. And that showed up on the boards. That, yeah. that, that that's, yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, like have. their biggest guy for the most part is like six, five. And they don't emphasize it. They're not sending four guys to the glass. You know, their priority is on floor balance and getting back. So it's not even an insult to them particularly to say, well, they don't offensive rebound well because they really don't try. Yeah. And yet you look at what happened. It was just terrible. Uh, and then turnovers, um, wow. this was a huge, huge, I mean, points off of turnovers, yeah. 27 for Maryland, two for Michigan state. Yeah. That's it's just it. an unbelievable stat. There, there's, there's a lot of the ball game right there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And again, I don't want to make it all about Michigan state playing poorly because I really do think the way Maryland defended it, it wasn't forcing MSU into turnovers in the way you normally think about it, where you're like, well, a guy is stealing the ball. Although there was some of that, too. Mm-hmm. But they made Michigan State's guys so uncomfortable that at times it, it did, in essence, force a mistake. Yeah. But then there was also there were also instances of Michigan State just making terrible decisions. There were multiple times where Michigan State was making really poor decisions in terms of passes that they attempted to make. Mm. They had no chance, not a prayer, of connecting, and yet they're still doing it. And, so, like, 18 turnovers, in most years, we're like, well, you know, you're going to give up some turnovers because of the pace that you play at. But right. it's not like this team is running hard. You know, these aren't, like, fast break turnovers or something that's, like, you give and take. These are just yes. turno- normal turnovers. It's not You're going right. off the fast break or anything You're like right. that. Right, because they haven't been able to get the running game going very often in conference play at all. And and that does exacerbate a game, in a game like this, the pace that it's played at. It's like, wow, that's 18. That's the thing. When you think about this game and you think about MSU's offensive ineptitude for most of it, it was shocking to me to see they actually did shoot over 40%. Yeah. So I, it just seemed to me with the way that things went, it's like, well, they had to have gotten down in the 30s. No. But it felt worse than that in part because of the turnovers. Because in addition to whatever struggles they were having at times shooting the ball, just not even getting shots up at other times mm-hmm. frequently. I mean, 18 turnovers, you just you put all these numbers together, 18 Turnovers. You're in a rebounding deficit against this team. You know you're not shooting well from three. You put all of it together. There's just no way you would expect and a free throw differential. You add all of that up, and, and how could you expect to win a game? And in a sense, it's almost a miracle they were as close as eleven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you add it all together, right? It's just there's just no good news in any of this for Michigan State. Well, that was our uh, five keys. Where do we go from here, Rod? They're staying in Indianapolis. Um, yep. I mean, I guess the one good thing you could say is I, I, I don't think that this team, like, necessarily, maybe with the exception of Henry and Langford, need rest necessarily, but they need practice. 
they need practice and they need, they do need rest for those guys. And I do think, um, with both of them, again, I, I give most of the credit for Henry's struggles today to Morcel. Mm-hmm. With Josh, it was different because Josh, Josh was missing open looks. He got some good looks today, especially in the first half. He yeah. had good shots that just were not falling. And I really, you know, when I'm, I'm queuing off what Izzo has said, Izzo had mentioned, um, that, uh, you know, Josh was, he was giving Josh a couple of days off in preparation for this game because he just felt like he was dead. He had nothing else to give. So when those two guys are your best players, then they're being tired individually means you got a team problem. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I do think that is another bit of silver lining here besides the seeding thing that, all right, this should mean that Josh and Aaron have their batteries recharged because the earliest they're going to play is eight days from now. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I shouldn't say that. The earliest they're going to play is a week from now because theoretically they could be on first four game. Yeah. I don't think so, but I think, it, but it could happen. You can't rule it out. But you got no distractions. Um, you're getting used to practicing in these gyms that you're not typically in. Um, you'd like to think that maybe they're digging into their playbook a little bit, you, you yep. know, going over some sets and stuff that maybe they haven't just had a chance to. And, and hey, you know, let's be honest with the Big Ten being as good as it is this year. You'd rather play somebody from any other league, right? <laughs> yeah. I'll so, take my chances that, with anybody else. Yeah. In that sense, it would be a break. You know, look, I, I don't, if anybody thinks they, they feel extremely comfortable about figuring out what's going to happen with this Michigan State team in the tournament, um, I think they're kidding themselves. Yeah. There's enough here with what this team has done that I think you can obviously easily say first round exit and, and who could argue with it. Mm-hmm. They've had enough bad moments as recently as today. Well, all right, sure. The problem is they've also beaten the teams that they have, which then suggests to you, should you really be shocked by a Michigan state team that especially now that we're talking about, probably we think is probably not going to have to play, um, a one or a two in that second game, you know, we're, we're pretty certain of that. Um, can they get out of the first weekend? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I they can. They can. They're capable of that. You know, when you think about the kind of teams that they would be facing and compare that to teams they've beaten. Yeah. They've got it in them. So I'll say this, if this team got to a sweet 16, you would declare this season a success on every possible level. Yeah. <laughs> At least in terms of the way it ended up. Um, I think it's a success given that they're going to be in the tournament. Yeah. You know, where things were that much, it makes it, you know, this is not a season that you look at and think, oh God, what a failure, what a horrible year. You know, they salvaged that much, but Anybody who thinks they've got a read on this thing as of now, I, as I say, I think they're kidding themselves because it's going to be dependent upon matchups. It's going to be dependent upon how much progress Michigan State can make over the next week or so. Yeah. Um, all of these elements that 
are, and then just the vagaries of the way that they play. You know, what Rocket Watts are we getting today? I don't know. What yeah. Joey Howard are we getting today? I don't know. Uh, and that's the thing. If we don't know, the other team's not going to know. They can't know either. And we watch every single point. game and we don't even know. Right. Where do they, you I even start every, on a scouting report? With, with well, I think every team starts with you got to do everything you can to try to limit Aaron Henry. I think that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, yeah, you probably, if I were scouting Michigan State, I would probably say, um, you're comfortable with letting them take threes to an extent. Yeah. Because they have going to be a consistently good three point shooting team. You want to do everything you can to keep them out of transition, make them go against half court defense because they'll shoot themselves in the foot sometimes. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that. That's where I would start. But in terms of individual players on the scouting report, yeah, who the hell knows? <laughs> Variance. I mean, we saw today Malik Call, who's been playing, he's been starting games recently. He's been doing very much in terms of actual production. Goes out and pops nineteen. Mm-hmm. Okay, you gonna worry about him in the next game if you're the opponent? I don't know. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> kind of the wild card with this team is you right. just don't know. I... <laughs> But that's also and, going to be fun. And how awesome is it? You know, after missing last year, we get this wild card team to root for. Uh, that's right. I, it's I, fun. I just it's think it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, from from a Michigan State fans' perspective, this is this is how I'm choosing to view it. I mean, people are going to do what they want, but rarely do you have a year where there are zero expectations for the tournament. Mm-hmm. Almost every year, Michigan State is going into it believing that it has a legitimate chance to get to a Final Four and win the whole thing. That's just how it's been. The last time I don't think anybody believed that was uh, 16-17, you know, miles of yeah, years. Yeah. Right? And, and so that tournament was kind of fun because they had that big comeback win over Miami. And then they really played well against Kansas before kind of wilting down the stretch and Josh Jackson just killed them. Um, but, you know, that was fun. That was a fun little weekend. Yeah. You know, cause no expectations. It doesn't happen much around these parts when we're in that scenario. So as a fan, that should provide a little bit of freedom in watching. So, okay, I, I can't really expect anything in particular so what happens, happens, and you just mm-hmm. kind of roll with it, you know. And, and there have been years where Michigan State's kind of felt that way, and they've run with it. Mm-hmm. You know, 14-15 is, although that team was playing more consistently, certainly at the end of the year, than this one is. But I think that was a similar feeling in some ways. We're like, okay, we nobody expected that team to get to a Final Four. There's no way yeah. now. And they were, what, a seven seed that year? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they had to go through, what did they go through? They, they went, went through, through Virginia. Virginia, who was in the Sweet 16 that year? It was Virginia, somebody in Louisville. But regardless, I mean, they ran a gauntlet and, and did it. And, and that was a, that was just an unbelievable feeling that year. Yeah. So, I would just say, you know, look, the, the, the part that was the minimum that you feel like a Michigan State needs to accomplish, they got done. Barely. Mm-hmm. Um, from here on out, 
from my perspective with this team this year, add all that together, it's gravy. Just whatever they accomplish is great. Do you, know? do you know off the top of your head, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but what's the lowest seed they've ever been? Can you remember anything lower than a nine or a 10? I think they've been a I 10 think before. they've been a 10. I think there's, it wouldn't surprise me if like, I don't know what seed the Neitzel team was his junior year or what seed they were. I think they might have been a double-digit seed in 2011, that season that kind of fell apart and they lost to UCLA in the first round. Um, it's possible. Those would be the first two that would come to my mind. But, um, but yeah, this is going to be up there. It might be, you know, this was the team seeded the lowest MSU's ever been seeded in a Big Ten tournament was – today ninth seed um there's a good chance that an ncaa seed will be the lowest they've ever had under Izzo, and probably the lowest in program history because i don't think any of the other teams that made it under judd or prior to that were seated lower mm-hmm. uh, so yeah it's again a good reason to not put any expectations on it just kind of allow yourself to be pleasantly surprised if something great happens and this team's done enough to suggest that you can't rule that out. Yeah. Yeah. You know? All right. Well, I think that'll put a bow on it. I guess uh, we probably won't talk until, what, maybe Selection Sunday? Yeah. I think I, Selection Sunday we'll be back with a, you know, a quick quick date on um, the Where draw for MSU, yeah. assuming that we're all right and they're in. Um, and, uh, yeah, maybe just, you know, discussions about the rest of the to the draw as a whole but yeah we'll we'll talk on sunday okay all right until then the final four is not on schedule at granger we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail the ones who fuss tinker and sweat the small stuff because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving we get it We're the same way, offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Grainger, for the ones who get it done.